All right, folks, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to uh, John chapter 4. If you're using a pew Bible, that's page 562. John chapter 4, we're going to continue in our, kind of wrap up our discussion today about the, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, and Jesus' interaction with her. And we're going to see a little bit of the impact of that time with Jesus and what that impact was on her life and what it actually ended up causing to happen, what, what, what that did to stir something else to happen. And we're going to see that today, especially because we're going to look at verses 27 and 42. So let me, let me remind you what we're doing here in our study with John. As I've, I've mentioned to you before, we, through time, develop concepts about Jesus. And they come from all different sources. They come from what we learn from somebody else or what we think we know or what somebody influenced us or what we heard somebody say about Jesus. And, and so we develop this mindset about how Jesus is supposed to act in our lives and what he's supposed to do and how he is towards us. Some of those things, I'll be honest with you, are negative. They're actually wrong. They're based on lies. So, for instance, when you think about the reality of for every one of us that we do wrong, that we sin, it's easy to develop a mindset because we know how we are and the disappointment we have when those around us sin, and especially if they hurt us, we, we develop this mindset that God sees me the same way. He, now, first of all, he doesn't excuse away sin. I, I want you to understand that sin is an offense against God. But when he comes to your children, yes, he is disappointed with your sin. But there is a reality that governs the fact that he also loves you. But see, you can develop a mindset about Jesus that he's just ready to squash you. And deal with you because of the stuff that's going on in your lives. We've seen that, especially when we've looked at this woman at the well. A lot of times when you hear about the woman at the well, there's a lot of focus and messages on the reality of, quote, her immoral life. She's had five husbands. She's living with a guy. Now, we looked at that last week, and you remember Jesus' point in bringing that up wasn't to expose her to beat her down. He was bringing it up to basically point out who he is, that he knew everything about her. And when he said that, she replied, yeah, I've got five, you know, yeah, I, I don't have a husband. And he was like, yeah, you answered truthfully. What was he trying to do? He was trying to get her to understand who he was and that he knew everything about her. And then ultimately he reveals to her that he hasn't revealed to anybody yet, let alone any Jew yet, that he's the Messiah. Now that's got an impact on her. So what we're going to see today is she's got to tell others. And that's why we've entitled our message today, Telling Others. Now, as soon as I say that, some of you, I know this is true from my background, you have been in a church where you have been told numerous times that you need to evangelize, that you need to share the gospel, you need to go out there and do it. I can remember when I first became a believer in the little bitty Independent Baptist Church that I went to in West Columbia, South Carolina, Tuesday night was 
visitation night, okay? And so you would show up for visitation, dressed up, and you would go out and cold turkey knock on somebody's door to tell them about Jesus and, quote, lead them to the Lord. And it was really awkward. It was very awkward for the people on Tuesday night who were just wanting to watch their show and somebody shows up at their door. And uh, it's really awkward for you because you don't know who they are. So this is cold turkey. You're just meeting somebody. I, first of all, I, think about this. This is 1985, 86. People just let you in their homes then. It's a little different now, isn't it? Did you understand what I'm saying? So something was missing there. And then when I went on to seminary, when I went on to study the Bible and then on to seminary, I remember having to go to chapel every week and turn in a three-by-five card. This is, how, this is how awkward it was. Listing how many people I shared the gospel with that week. Now, the problem is, is that I'm on a Christian campus where everybody's supposed to be a Christian. Who am I supposed to share that with and then mark that down so that it can tally this many people had the gospel shared with them? And so what ended up happening is I remember when I first became a believer and my excitement about sharing was there to the point where it's being, I'm being told that I have to do it all the time. I lost that desire. To share. Why did that happen? Well, I think we're going to see why when sharing is natural versus imposed. Okay? Sharing is natural versus imposed. Because we're going to see a woman who shares naturally, and then Jesus encourages us to do something with that. And understand that. So let, let's look at this together. We're going to look at verse 27 through 42. We're going to see about the woman and what she does. It's interesting what she does. It's actually quite amazing, okay? Look with me, verse 27. It'll be up on the screen for those of you who want to look at it on the screen. And at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or... Why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of, which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, Has anyone bought, brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. For they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, 
and you have entered into their labors. Many of the Samaritans of the city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all I ever did. And so when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his own word. And when then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him and know that this indeed, this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. All right, so folks, here's what we're going to do. We're going to kind of break this down into three sections here. We're going to see, first of all, the need to share, all right? The need to share. And we're also going to see the nature of sharing, what exactly is the natural flow of sharing here that Jesus is talking about, and then we're going to see the response, okay? Now, here's what I want you to think about. As we talk about this, because again, maybe you were raised in a background where you have constantly emphasized that you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this, and it becomes a task to fulfill. And by that, I mean evangelism is a task to fulfill, I want you to think about that, but contrast that with the emphasis of what we're going to see here in the passage, especially the emphasis of this woman and what she does. And then I want you to see that there's something far more beautiful. Well, I'll tell you what the beautiful is later. All right, so let's take a look at this. Okay, so first of all, the need to share. All right, so here's what happens. It's very interesting. It's actually quite astonishing. The woman, after she interacts with Jesus, and Jesus says to her, the one who speaks to you is he, meaning the Messiah. He's revealed himself to be the Messiah. The text tells you, if you look at verse 27, it tells you that she did something very, very interesting. It said, uh, excuse me, verse 28, the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men. She left her water pot. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. Her water pot, for us that would be insignificant, a jug. Uh, for her, it's not. It's the one thing that she has that she has to utilize every day to, because that's how she gets her water. She doesn't have water being piped into her house. She's got to go up to the well every day and get water. And water pots cost money. Here, it, you know, a jug doesn't cost very much if you go to Walmart. There, it's a significant thing. It had to be made, crafted, or whatever by someone. And so this is a significant thing. It's like you leaving behind something very necessary from your life, your toolbox at Walmart, because you just met somebody. He excited you, and you realize there's something different about him. You want to go tell others about him, so you leave behind your toolbox. Would you do that? No, you wouldn't do that. She did. What, what's going on here? It's point. Truly understanding who Jesus is makes everything else seem trivial. Everything else seems trivial. Even, here's what's trivial. Getting water. Just the reality of getting water for, her, for feeding her animals, if she has animals, or feeding her household and doing whatever, that's all trivial. She leaves her water pot, she just drops everything, and she goes into Sychar to tell others about Jesus because of her interaction with the Messiah. 
Everything else seems trivial. Here's the second thing I want you to see about her. She told others what she had experienced and called them to come see. So here's what she did. She didn't go, and in, first of all, it wouldn't have been allowed. First of all, she's in a patriarchal society, okay? Uh, we, we have a hard time comprehending that because in our culture, we don't exist in that kind of culture. There are a lot of cultures like this around the world. We're seeing it played out on our TVs right now when you see what's happening in Afghanistan, especially with the suppression that women are going to be under now. That's typical of this time frame in Israel at this point, in Judea and Galilee and Samaria. And women were basically seen as less than, and you don't go instruct men. So she goes up, and notice what she does. She, she doesn't, she just asks it as a question. I met a guy who told me everything I did. Notice what she says. Could this be the Christ? Could this be the Messiah? She's not saying, hey, the Messiah is here. There's a protocol for how she's supposed to approach the men. And then the men go and see. Do you understand? But listen to what she's doing. She's sharing her what? Personal experience. Her personal interaction with Jesus. And then she tells them what? You come and experience it yourself. You come and see it. You come and see, and guess what? They do. They want to go see this man. First of all, they probably were shocked. You mean there's a Jew at the well? He doesn't, they don't have anything to do with us, and he's talking to you, a woman? We better go check this out. That's kind of unusual. And so they go. They go. And while this is happening, Jesus is interacting with his disciples about how to share, why share, and the reality of sharing, the nature of sharing. So I want you to notice with me, here's what happens. Verse 27 starts out with that the disciples come back. Remember, they went to a nearby town, probably a Jewish something somewhere, because they wouldn't have done it from the Samaritans, to get food. And so they come back and they see Jesus. They're shocked. Jesus is talking to not just a Samaritan. Jesus is talking to a woman. And, of course, he's the master. He's the teacher. They're not going to question him, but they're talking among themselves. But they didn't dare ask, why are you talking to that woman? So when the woman's gone, Jesus makes this statement. Look with me. He makes this statement. I have food to eat of which you do not know. Because they brought back food. But he says, I have food to eat of that you don't even know. And they're confused now. In fact, they said to him, did somebody bring him food? Because they don't know what Jesus is talking about. Did somebody bring him food? Somebody get him a kosher burger? I mean, what's going on here? So here's what I want you to see. Here's what Jesus is doing. First of all, let's look at verse 34. We've already mentioned it a little bit. Here's what Jesus said. My food is to do the will of him who sent me to, 
and to finish his work. Here's an overall principle that Jesus is telling for you and I. Here's the overall principle. The true fulfillment is found in doing what God called us to do. That's what he's saying here. When he says, I have food that you don't know of, that I feel satisfied by, what is he talking about? He's talking about that his fulfillment is in doing what God called him to do. Have you ever noticed that that's the biggest thing that's going on in our lives right now is we're all trying to find something that will bring us fulfillment, but the reality of what brings us fulfillment is God and doing what he wants us to do. So he's saying to them, I'm satisfied because I'm doing the will of the Lord. I'm doing what he has called me to do. Okay? Next thing I want you to notice, verse 35. He said, And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Excuse me, that's verse 36. Do you not say that there are still four months? Then comes the harvest, verse 35 says. Behold, I say to you, lift up your voices and look to the fields, for they are already white for the harvest. Here's what Jesus is saying to them. Open your eyes and see that people are ready to hear. Now, it's interesting. Some scholars, for instance, one of the interesting things, the Samaritans still exist today in Israel. You may not be aware of that. There is still a group of Samaritans. They've existed there since the time that the Assyrian king brought them there until this point. There is still a community of Samaritans. If you go among the community of Samaritans, one of the things that's very distinctive about them is that they wear white turbans, which they have for centuries. So Jesus is saying now to his disciples, you guys say in six months it'll be the harvest. And because you can look at the field and you can see the grains and you can see it's ready to harvest. He's saying, look, the harvest is ready. The fields are, notice what he says, white unto harvest. What's he talking about? He's probably talking about all those Samaritan men, what, coming up from the city up to Jacob's well. And it seems white. Why are you seeing all these white turbans coming? What's Jesus saying to them? Open your eyes, guys. People are ready to hear. Open your eyes. All right, now let's talk about how that's relevant to you and I right now. I've had, I've had this conversation now. Oh, I, probably four or five times this week. With different people, and here's what the conversation has been. We live in a different age. Things aren't the same anymore. And it's almost bewildering. Would everybody agree with that? Now, you can focus all your energy on why, and a lot of people are doing that. Why, why, why? Well, it's because of this, because of this, because of this. Okay. Forget that for a moment. We're not here to talk about why. But what we are here to talk about is, is that's the world we live in right now. We live in a world where right now the anxiety levels among people are pretty high. Would everybody agree with that? 
Would everybody agree that we live in a world right now where people are trying to just figure out what in the world is going on? How do I make sense of all of this? How do I handle this? And it's getting real. Like you're having to worry about disease like you've never had to worry about it before. You're having to worry about buying power with, with your job. Or even now you're having to worry about like, okay, so like for instance, Lori and I, we were getting some new windows for the house. I ordered them in the middle of May. I just found out I may not get them until the end of September. I thought I was getting them in July. This is August, isn't it? So when I call them, you got to be nice. And I already know what they're going to tell me. We're waiting on them to show up, Mr. Cannon. And I, I said to somebody this week, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of when I was a kid growing up in my parents' home in the 70s. You know what I'm saying? When there might be something there, there may not be something. And you just learn to adjust. And guess what? There was inflation that was pretty high then. And everybody, if you can remember the 70s, that's the way the 70s was. We've kind of come full circle again, haven't we? But we don't know what to do with that. That's the reality of our world we live in, but here's the spiritual vacuum that exists because of it. People don't know how to handle it spiritually. And they're wanting to cling their hopes to something. And they're not interested in, and that's why a lot of, I think a lot of folks are leaving the church, they're not interested in a, in a system of moralism. Do you understand what I'm saying? They're not interested in a system of this is what you can't do, what you can't do. That, that, that's emptiness. There's no, nothing there. What they want is something real. Now, here's the reality. The reality is you should already know what's real. And that's Jesus in your own lives. And how he's helping you to navigate the waters we're in right now, Right? And what people want to hear is, is not a system of doctrine. They want something tangible. And so that's what Jesus is saying. Open your eyes. He's saying to you guys, open your eyes. The fields are wide into the harvest. Folks, open your eyes. There are, there are people that want to hear something more in depth about life. That's, that's the need for sharing. So he then goes on and points out that each one has a different role to fulfill. See, this is the interesting thing, and I, and I think this is where true satisfaction comes in. We have a different role to fulfill. Look with me at verse 36 through 38. He who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored, others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. Okay, so here's what he's saying. Everyone has a different role. You know, when I learned those methods years ago, and I, I, you know, I just got rid of half my library. Some of the books I got rid of were my books on evangelism. 
And they were all methods and all routines of how to do this, how to share, how to, sh how to get the church to share. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, they were all, I mean, they were good books, but here, here's the problem. They weren't natural. It didn't come out of your heart. And people did that because they were told, this is what you do if you're a good Christian. And so it wasn't natural. And people understood that. I mean, think about it. I've told you, I used to go on Tuesday night visitation when I was a young Christian. And we show up at a guy's house and we're sitting there talking and he's got the ball game on. He's got the baseball game on, and we're sitting there, and we're talking with him. We got our Bibles, and we're talking with him about Jesus. And, and, you know, and finally, the pastor gets to the place of wanting to share the gospel with him and pray this prayer. Guess what? He prayed that prayer. And we left. <sighs> and he closed the door, went back to his ball game. And nothing changed in his life. He prayed the prayer to get you out of his house. That wasn't natural. First, we didn't even know who the guy was. He just happened to live three houses down from the church renting, and he's thinking, I picked the wrong neighborhood to rent in. Scary, isn't it? That's not going to reach anybody. But I tell you what will. Hopefully you are interacting with Jesus in your life. And he speaks to you through his word. And he guides you through the troubled waters of life. He shows himself mighty in your life in many, many small ways. He gives you hope in the midst of hopelessness. And you grow in your love for him. But then you notice around you that there are people around you that need him. And like the woman who leaves everything, everything else becomes trivial because you, like the woman, feel you have to share that with them about Jesus. Now, it's not, each role is different. It may not be that you, quote, are leading them to Christ, but it may simply be that you are starting the conversation with them about the reality of who God is, and this is what he's doing in your life. But each one has a role. Each one has a role in the process. I remember when I went to school, I had a professor that talked about the law of seven touches, now, I, I don't know how he figured this out, but he figured that typically a person needs to come in contact with the gospel at least seven times. Seven times before they ever can make a decision about it for themselves. Especially if they've never been introduced to it before, ever. And then let's be honest. We live in a culture right now where, where people don't have any clue of the church. I can remember, I mean, it's been a while now. We had a program here where we had young people come from the community to our, to our afternoon program. And I remember one time I went out to set a sign up because the program's going on. And I walked around the side of the church and there was a young man standing outside the door looking through the window at all the other kids having a good time. 
And I said to him, hey, you want to come in, buddy? And he said, uh, I'm scared. Was he scared of the kids? No, it wasn't the kids. It was the building. It was a church, and he had no clue what that was. And some of you who are older are like, what do you mean he had no clue? Listen, folks, I'm going to tell you right now, I told you this before, in Clearfield County, 60% of Clearfield County does not even go to a church. I meet people all the time that have no understanding of what church is. They have never been raised with a church, don't know what a Bible is, don't know anything about that. And it would be scary, wouldn't it? Yeah. Each one has a different role to fulfill. That's this point here. Let, let's go on. Here's what he's saying here. The final thing. But when you share, here's what happens. Both share in an eternal reward. Each of us has a role. Here's what our role is. Just sharing with people the reality of Jesus in your life. And, and, and hopefully they'll see the need for Christ in their lives. And whether you share and bring someone to Christ, or whether you're just sharing and it has an effect on them later, you don't know, but later you're going to receive an eternal reward because you're going to find out later who you impacted. And I'll be honest with you, it's probably going to be surprising to a lot of us that we had some sort of impact on somebody we never even knew. We never even knew. But then he goes on, and it's, I think it's interesting because the story shifts back to these Samaritans. Remember the woman? She goes, hey, is this the Christ? He told me everything I knew. And so the guys are like, whoa, wait a minute. Wow, did you talk to you? Wow, let's, let's go and check this out. And so sure enough, they're coming because Jesus said, look, the fields are white into harvest. Probably all those white turbans coming, up to, coming, coming through the field to the well. And... From that, we see the response. And so let's just look at it again, okay? Look with me, first of all, verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. Here's the first thing I want you to see about the response. Some will believe because of what you tell them concerning your experience. Some will believe because of what you tell them concerning your experience with Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? Some, for some, it's going to be just enough for them to hear about how God has impacted your life. But that's not everyone. Everyone else is not the same way. But for some, just hearing and seeing what he's doing in your life will be enough. Let's go on. Look at verse 40. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with him, and he stayed there two, day <coughs> two days. I think this is amazing. Remember, the Jews don't have any contact with him. He's, first of all, he's talking to a woman. He's with people who were like, ooh, Samaritans, get away. They hated each other for hundreds of years. Hey, can you stay with us? Yeah, sure. That's your Jesus. 
He doesn't operate by these cultural norms. And then here, look at what happens. And many more believed because of his own word. Now, they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Here's what happens. Some will believe because they have experienced Jesus themselves. Not just because of your word, but because they themselves experience. Here's, Here's what I do. Sometimes when I talk to people who are interested, I will say to them, you know what, God will reveal himself to you. Now, it's not like, there he is in your house. I'm not talking about that. But what I say to them is, if you're seeking him, you just need to start asking him to show himself in whatever way in your life so that you can see that he's real. And trust me, folks, if you're truly seeking, I think he will. Because those who seek are really wanting to know. And you know he will. Let me share something with you that just happened just yesterday, okay? So, uh, I love my in-laws. I love my mother and father-in-law. They have come here before. You've met my mother and father-in-law. Lori's parents, and uh, back in December of 2019, so this is before COVID, my, my in-laws have different musical tastes than I do, okay? They love Southern gospel music, okay? So we bought them, we went in with her, with Lori's sister and family, and we bought them tickets to go see the Gaithers, okay? And they were going to be in... Uh, Lancaster in spring of 2020. Well, you guys know what happened. COVID. So everything and a concert? Forget that, right? So <laughs> we, we've been, you know, we back then they said, well, we'll let you know when the concert will be so you can make arrangements then. Okay. Well, Lori got an email yesterday informing us that the concert is today. What? We're like, are you kidding me? That's a dirty trick. I'm I'm immediately, I'm a cynical guy. I got a big C on my head here, guys. I'm a cynic. I'm like, okay, really? You couldn't send that email? You knew this. You couldn't send that email? I'm like irritated. Well, then we talked. I talked to Lori about it. We were talking from Canada and and, uh, well, maybe your mom and dad still want to go. And she said, well, I'm up here. I'm doing things with Maddie. We're in, you know, I said, okay, I'll take care of it. So <clears throat> I, uh, I called them up and I said, hey, you remember that concert? Yes, yes. It's tomorrow. Are you guys still interested in going? We'll call you back. 30 minutes later, they call. Yes, we are. Okay, I'll put you up in a hotel. I had hotel points, because you know I travel a lot. I had hotel points. I put them up in a hotel three miles away. And uh, 
then Hudson went down to deliver them the tickets and the information about the hotel down to Indiana and met with family. And, and uh, they're excited. And you know why they're excited? It's their anniversary. So I sent a text to Lori. I said, hey, your parents are excited. I, I made sure that, her, that my sister and brother-in-law knew about it. And uh, then I said to Lori, what was an irritation to us that they waited to the last minute, I said, may have been a God thing because now they can enjoy their anniversary together. And she gave me a big thumbs up. Now, is that God? Yeah, I think so. For my in-laws to get some time away and enjoy Southern gospel music. You know? Okay. This is what I'm trying to say, but that's sharing the reality of Jesus with people. See, most people, when you talk about sharing Jesus, you're just talking to them about something that they've already heard about, that he died for them. But yeah, why did he die for them? Well, so they can go to heaven later. Nobody's thinking about going to heaven later. Nobody's even thinking about their sins. We live in a world that sin doesn't even mean anything. But when you talk to them right now, about the reality of who Jesus is right now for them in this chaos that we live in. That does mean something. And when they get to know him, and when they understand him, then he starts pointing out what in their lives? The stuff that needs to change, the sins that need to be dealt with. And they respond to that because who told them? Jesus. See, this, this is the reality of telling others. And I'm going to tell you something. It is far more satisfying to share naturally out of your life because he excites you than to do it because it was something you were told to do. Let me pray for you.